0: Hey, hiding behind the music fans. So a future guest of the show, John Latta, after our recording, suggested to me to create a Spotify playlist of all the pieces that have been discussed on the podcast as a companion compilation to each episode. I wish for simplicity and clarity that Spotify would allow subcategories within a playlist. But alas, it's one giant clump of incredible music to listen to with my personal favorite artists performing. Please check it out if you're unfamiliar or curious about what we're exactly talking about. I'm limited to what's available on Spotify, but there are so many other resources to tap into. This is just a jumping off point. The playlist will be available in the description of each episode. So simply click to enjoy. And if you have any issues accessing it, email us at hydenmusicstand@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks. And let's continue to the show. everyone. And welcome to Haydn Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan. And with me is Cindy Burton, who is a section second violinist in the Louisville Orchestra. She is also a member of the Rochester Philharmonic, the Brit Festival, and Charlottesville Opera. And we'll be talking about her journey in yoga. Welcome, Cindy. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thanks for having me. How long have we known each other?
1: Oh, my God. Well, definitely, it was beginning of master's degree in San Francisco.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) the first time I ever interacted with Cindy was through email because we were put oh, yeah. we were looking for housing and I was looking for roommates and SFCM at the time had some sort of housing it was like forum.
1: a like a message board forum yeah forum where you could like talk with people and find people to live with and like the way that we met i think about it now and it was just like the most naive version of like online dating yeah. <laughs> like I made a profile about myself that gave like no actual information and like you thought it was cute and it's like <laughs> the whole reason that we're friends.
0: Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. That sums it up. <laughs> so I reached out to Cindy and then Cindy had already reached out to another friend, Erin, and we ended up, long story short, we found a beautiful apartment in Inner Sunset. That's my most favorite place I've ever lived in my life. Was Me that.
1: too. Yeah, Me that too. That was
0: what for whatever reason. And it's not even just us. Like Even our friends were like, yeah, that was an amazing apartment. I don't know what it specifically was. I mean, maybe it was the neighborhood. Maybe it was just the people who lived there which were awesome. yeah
1: I mean but all of those things one the location was amazing we were right on Golden Gate park and we could walk to the hate in like 15 minutes and I mean to be clear we had three people living in a one-bedroom apartment yeah
0: that's true <laughs>
1: but there was just like so much like love and happiness in that apartment yeah it was apartment D it was like our slogan I know
0: it's so sad I miss that place yeah. a lot it was and... our little
1: little family unit for sure yeah.
0: sometimes I don't even know where to start talking about our friendship because on accident but also on purpose we were just kind of magnetic we were always doing things together
1: yeah we were very coordinated
0: (laughs) and it all sort of happened well of course we were living together but it also kind of happened when we decided just to start writing the muni together to school yeah that's true because why not you know buddy system and we were put in chamber groups together we took the same classes together obviously an orchestra together and i don't know just everything
1: festivals together yeah
0: we had a lot of of good times and the thing too is I also have so many fond memories that I can't even choose a really fun memory specifically hey, no well, I have, you know I have one actually it's a very short one and it's maybe one of the first times I really started to appreciate Cindy for all who of who she is <laughs> oh my god <laughs> do you remember there was that one time when we were it was I think during first semester of our first year and there was just one thing after another of projects like orchestra concert was coming up, up and chamber music was getting really intense and I can't there's maybe some audition thing that we had to do and we were just all hanging out on the fifth floor and all of a sudden out of nowhere Cindy just goes "Stress" <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think I burst into tears and ran away.
0: Yes, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, that's... Like, there was no way that anyone could have predicted that to happen, especially because you were just standing there, just totally silent. Yeah, so.
1: that's like pretty much 100 percent me. <laughs>
0: So that was my fond memory. I mean, that's where there's so many. We not only did the master's program together at SFCM, and actually you stayed even an extra year freelancing in the city while I was doing my Mm -hmm. second degree there, the artistic certificate in chamber music. We also did a bunch of festivals together. So it was basically year round that we were just surrounded by each other.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Was there a year where it was like we were in school and then we did Spoleto and then Tanglewood? Yes, it was like a full year.
0: And of course, we were going to always live with each other if we could, because right. We were roommates in life, so yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah that- actually, I remember like when we got to Tanglewood and we were living in the same room for the first time. I remember thinking like, "Wow, this is like so compatible because we're the same kind of snoozers. Mm-hmm. Like we both <laughs> set like ten alarms and snooze them like ten times. Yes. and so it was like a it was like a buddy system to like wake up in the morning. <laughs> and then actually when I was like preparing for this podcast and like going through some like old pictures and stuff, I like found this one picture. It was like a screenshot I had taken of a text message thread between us. Oh no! Like, we were like, I guess this was not a Tanglewood, but in San Francisco, we had decided to get up early and do something together. We were like sleep texting each other <laughs> while we were like snoozing. Let me find it real quick. Maybe we can like post this picture on the um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you say, "Are you awake?" And in like alternating upper and lowercase letters, I go, "I tried to wake up early, but I felt falling bobka us death." But I'm I'm this O now. Seraph <laughs> dreams. I'm getting in the shower P. <laughs> and then you just say in two separate texts, L K. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) sounds about right. So the other like quintessential Patty story that I thought of when I was getting ready for this was actually at Tanglewood. And like when we first met, you were kind of shy and it took a little while to like get to know you You really not like that anymore. So from the beginning, basically, I just ignored any efforts you made to like keep a bubble around yourself and just invaded (laughs) your space and and forced you to be my friend. So then by the time we got to Tanglewood, we were really close, but like you were still a little shy around other people. But then there was this one night where we always had these big sponsored parties after concerts
0: oh no. Oh
1: no. we would like party and dance and whatever and then like at the end of the night they would always play don't stop believing as like a signal it's like a tradition like go home get out of here the sponsored part of this evening is now over uh-huh. and patty you just you were in the right place in the right time you have one like night. <laughs> yeah, like the ultimate karaoke moment. Oh. My you like god. grabbed yeah. the mic and it was like in the night.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> oh my god. One of the more embarrassing things I've ever done. It's the uh yeah. my goodness. Oh. Thanks, Cindy.
1: <laughs> it was great. It was really great. I like everyone saw the true patty in that <laughs> moment. <laughs>
0: I mean, and it, I think it was specifically cathartic for me in that moment, even though I didn't, I highly regret it now because we <laughs> had just come from a really stressful program or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I it was just, I'm just going to let loose. And then I did. <laughs> and so that's what happens. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, we did Tanglewood together. At the same time, we also did Spoleto, which kind of overlaps. It happens before Tanglewood. So you can kind of do both of those, which we also had a lot of fun. You know, there's just so much great fun. Food in that city. Oh my gosh! And so when Cindy was accepted into New World, and this was while we were still living together in San Francisco, she left, and a friend of ours, Paula, was going to take her place in the apartment. And she drove us to the airport to let you fly back to (laughs) Miami. And there's a photo of us just bawling our eyes out. And (laughs) I just remember. I think it's funny because I remember Paula being like, "I have to take a picture of this guys." Like, and we were like,
1: we were like. I mean, so extra, I was very upset.
0: I mean, because it was the first, you know, it was the the first time we were going to actually not literally be in each other's lives 24-7.
1: I know. It was so sad. I mean, it was like something I had been working for for so long. So I'm so excited to go to New World. But I have that picture too. And it's like, it's so real.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just pure, raw sadness. But also like, I was so happy that you were finally going forward in the next phase of your career. And so... We've just, you know, in and out since then, kept in touch, and here we are, still friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, obvi. (laughs) Do you want to do some spitfire questions?
1: Sure. Let's go. Okay.
0: Okay. Mozart or Beethoven?
1: Oh my god. (sighs) I guess Beethoven.
0: Shostakovich or Prokofiev? Prokofiev. (laughs) Netflix or video games?
1: Oh, Netflix, definitely.
0: Basil or Cilantro?
1: Mm, Both? Nope. (sighs) I guess
0: Basil. Okay. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter symphony or chamber music?
1: Mm, both, but my job is symphony, so. Right. We'll go with that. Okay.
0: <laughs> coffee or tea?
1: Definitely coffee.
0: That's true. Why would I even ask that? <laughs> <laughs> Favorite practice room?
1: The rooms at New World. They're so beautiful, especially if you can get one of those with a window and like you're looking out at the palm trees, like that's pretty great. Is
0: there a particular one in that building that you want to pay respects to?
1: Well, it changed over time. (laughs) At the beginning, when I was like still getting up early in the morning, I could get like one of the ones at the end of the hall with a window. By the end of my fellowship, when I was just all business and very tired all the time, I would literally just go to the one that was closest to my locker (laughs) okay
0: (laughs) oh oh my god I'm sorry I have another memory of you since you said that there's this one morning where I don't even think it was that early but for whatever reason you were just really tired and you're trying to make coffee and you just could not get it together and it was just like one of those comedic things of just watching someone attempt and just fail miserably I remember that and how miserable you were of how you couldn't accomplish the goal that you set for yourself (laughs)
1: yes yes I totally remember that. Actually, what I've learned from that is I should shower before I try to make (laughs) coffee. (laughs) I just need a minute to become a person before I can do like complex tasks. Like coffee. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Favorite professor shout out.
1: Mm. Well, there are lots. Probably, my teacher from undergrad deserves a big mention. His name uh, was Richard Luby, and he passed away during our master's degree. I
0: remember that, yeah,
1: yeah, it w- really was a total shock, and he was one of the first people who really had my back and believed in me and totally supported me That's sometimes the best. i yeah, sometimes I think I had no business going into music, but he as soon as he knew that I was serious about it, he was all in there for me, would give me extra lessons at like 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. He passed a few years ago and that was really sad. I miss him. So, yeah. Thanks yeah. Dr. Luby. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> 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 that's a throwback. That's inside joke. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most inspired musical hero of any genre?
1: Oh my god, these questions. <laughs> mm. You might have to come back to me on that one. That's pretty hard. Okay,
0: circle back. Most transformative performance experience?
1: Well, I mean, maybe it's partially because like you and I are talking right now, but our performance of Bartok 1 definitely was a really fun one and like very empowering for me and felt pretty cool. I got to play on Mark Sokol's extremely fancy tort, which was very empowering and cool. Very cool experience. That's a bow, by the
0: way, for some people who might not know what a tort is. That's a very, very fancy French bow.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. It made me feel like Superwoman. There are so many, but... For some reason, that's what's popping into my mind right now.
0: I actually recently played Bartok 1 again, and I kept texting you just because it brought back so many... We learned that piece so well, and it was my first introduction to Bartok String Quartets. Mm -hmm. And who better than to ask to coach you on something like that than Mark Sokol?
1: That was a very special experience, for sure. One of the highlights of SFCM, I would say.
0: Yeah. Next piece you'd like to learn?
1: My fiance, Jason, just found this piece by Duke Ellington, and it was originally a ballet called the river that was done with the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Oh. And there's a suite for orchestra that is so cool and I had never heard it before this week. It's basically about, it's kind of about the Mississippi River, but then Duke Ellington took it and made it about a metaphor for our spiritual journey through life. And it literally ends in a pas de deux at the end be- between a white woman and a black man. And Nice. I just think that that would be an amazing piece to do right now. So, yeah. And actually, the other really cool thing about it is that the recording that we found is the Louisville Orchestra oh right it just made me so happy that we had already done something like that and it you know makes me really hopeful for the future that we can do more things like that next season we were supposed to go to Carnegie and do Appalachian Spring with a new choreography with the Louisville Ballet and and like just imagine if we could pair it with that yeah wow definitely having fun thinking about that kind of stuff
0: yeah nice okay Do you want to circle back to the most inspired musical hero? I mean, I have another story here too.
1: Okay. Maybe if, you tell your story and it'll jog my memory.
0: Our second year at Tanglewood, oh, yeah. we were gifted this luncheon with Yo-Yo Ma. And obviously all of us were just so excited, so pumped to see him. And so, of course, Cindy and I are sitting at the same table. And just by chance, he walks over to our table first to say hi and you know introduce himself. And I instantly ask him a question about stage. Fright, and he gave me this amazing answer, which was basically: imagine a performance like a party that you're a host of a party, and you've done all the preparations. You've done, you got the dishes, you got the food, you got the hors d'oeuvres, blah blah blah. And all you're doing is you're opening up your party to your guests. And say some soup spills on the floor. Are you going to make a big deal about the fact that there's soup on the floor? Or are you going to actually just quietly clean it up and move on, continuing the vibe of the party? So anyway, that I remember was- that
1: anecdote too, and I think about it. A a lot. Yeah. It's like, are you going to focus on the soup and ruin the night for everybody? Or right. are you just going to like move on? Right.
0: So as he's, you know, he maybe talked a little bit more to us and then he moved on to another table. And I turn over to Cindy being like, this was incredible. And I see Cindy just in tears. And, <laughs> but it's, and, and I'm just like, what the, what? And she's like, I'm so happy right now. I'm I just, yo-yo bot I was yeah. like, you're not even a cellist. like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: (laughs) Well, it wasn't necessarily that we were just meeting him or whatever. I was just like so touched by the fact that he just wanted to spend some time with all of us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he's yo yo ma. Nobody does that. Right. I was floored by that.
0: He is awesome. He does do that, I guess. He does
1: that. What an amazing human. Yeah.
0: I think some of the most successful musicians are some of the most humble people. Like Gil Shaham, too, is just so humble and love him.
1: Oh, I guess for musical heroes, like currently, I'm just kind of obsessed with Augustine Hadley right now. Yeah,
0: he's awesome, too. Oh, my
1: God. He sounds so great. And I'm watching everything he puts out. And it's really been... Like a great source of motivation watching all of his little teaching clips that he's been putting out on Instagram. Those have basically been like my practice guides during the quarantine. Really? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just a stunning player. And my last concert at New World was with him playing Britain violin concerto.
0: Oh my god. God he was supposed I to do know. that he was supposed to do that with Minnesota and then covid came around so i was <sighs> like i was so pumped to go to that concert and
1: yeah, yeah. that piece Oh. is, oh my God. When I first heard that piece it made me feel like I did when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and kind of like discovering all the masterworks for the first time. Could not believe something so amazing existed. And then to perform it with him and he's, I mean, I just could go on and on about him.
0: How did you get into music?
1: Uh, so I started playing violin when I was three and a half, which I mean, for all of your listeners who are classical musicians, they'll know that that's not super out of the ordinary, although it is Like on the younger side. But I started taking Suzuki lessons with a local teacher in my town of Banner Elk, North Carolina, which is extremely small, like a thousand people, little like mountain town. And I think maybe I had expressed some level of interest in music, but in only the way that like a three year old can. And my parents basically just wanted me to be like smart and well rounded. And there was a violin teacher who lived a mile away from us. So I just kind of got lucky that it agreed with me and it was something. Something that I was naturally good at and found it really fun, and so I, I stuck with that for a long time, but n- didn't really think of it as a career until much, much later. So in Banner Elk, it's part of the Appalachian Mountains, so that means that bluegrass is really big, and it's like part of the heritage of that area. Yeah. So. My parents were in a bluegrass band together, Mm -hmm. amateur. It was like a faculty band at the college that they taught at. And so I grew up listening to bluegrass a lot more than classical music Mm -hmm. to the point where like Eagles tunes that my parents would play in their folk band that I thought that they wrote (laughs) until like an embarrassing age. (laughs) So I I heard a lot of bluegrass and it was weird because classical music kind of became like my own little personal weird rebellion in some ways because bluegrass was so everywhere that every time I would play, the response I would get would be, oh, wow, you sound great. Thank you. When are you going to get that fiddling going? Right. Come on. Why? Let's get some bluegrass happening. And I, I for some reason, was just like, No. (laughs) i gonna do this instead. Yeah, so you
0: were even more
1: of an anomaly
0: in Venner <laughs> yeah. I
1: It was like a rebel and a goody two-shoes at the same time. <laughs> but more of a goody two-shoes for sure. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that happens for a lot of people when they do grow up in smaller, more rural areas, is that you don't really have an awareness that classical music is a job until your scope of experience widens a little bit. So I remember I started to play at Appalachian State which is like the local university with their orchestra and like take lessons with a new teacher when I was in high school. And even at that point, when I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, like I had never heard the Bach Chacon. Like there was so much music that I hadn't heard, even though I'd been playing the violin for like 10 or 15 years at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of a point of like major growth. And then at the same time, so my dad was diagnosed with cancer when I was 13 and he was sick for about two years and then passed away when I was a sophomore. And of course, it was horrible. We were beyond close, mm-hmm. talked about everything together. And around this same time was when I was getting involved at Appalachian State. Mm-hmm. And I was playing an orchestra, I was playing quartet, I was taking more serious violin lessons, and literally discovering all of the masterworks in classical music that I was not aware of at all. So it opened up a huge world to me during during a time when I really needed it. And the thing I always think about is that like, well, this is a a Michael Tilson Thomas thing. He always says that classical music is a place where we remember endangered emotions. Ooh. Right? So good. Like wistfulness or yearning or like ambiguous feelings. Mm -hmm. And all of those different shades of experience, you don't really get that in a lot of kinds of music. So I was going through these like really intense times and uh, hearing classical music really for the first time and playing with other people in a way that I hadn't before. You know, just I all of a sudden had this orchestra community Mm -hmm. and it was okay to express feelings Right. In that situation with your friends. And
0: without words too. Yeah.
1: Sometimes emotion is not something you can actually articulate. Right. As we've expressed so far in the podcast, I am an extremely emotional person <laughs> and I get overwhelmed sometimes. And sometimes <laughs> tears just come out and words are, have no use. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. How did you like that? <laughs> very useful. <laughs> But this is why
0: we love you, Cindy. (laughs) So basically, you had this sort of musical revelation and then went to UNC and then San Francisco with me and then Mm -hmm. life ended. And that was the end of the story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and nothing mattered after and nothing that. Nothing
0: matters after that. No, just kidding.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I learned a lot at UNC. And then when I think of San Francisco, I just think of both San Francisco and New World as being times when I just was extremely stressed out, but also grew a lot. Mm-hmm. And in San Francisco, I felt like the city was kind of our playground. And even though we were both working so hard and so stressed, and like, for me feeling inadequate, pretty much all the time. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, it was like, just so free. And like, there were days when we could just go explore the city. And uh, yeah, so that's how I think of with San Francisco. And then kind of the same with New World. I mean, San Francisco versus Miami, those are like, Totally different vibes, but like also an amazing place to explore. And I was also working so hard there trying to get an orchestra job. Like, I've been listening to a lot of stand up comedy stuff recently and it's funny whenever people talk about being on SNL it sounds a lot like how I felt about New World. You knew it was temporary it was only going to be like three or four years tops and it was so stressful during the time that you almost couldn't appreciate it but you still did appreciate that you were part of something super super duper special. So that's kind of how I felt about New World and then I guess the other not really turning point but something that I like to discuss is just that I had my own health problems while I was at New World, which were also so intense. I guess it was my third year, which is like traditional year last year at New World. And I'll tell you like kind of the backwards version of the story to like avoid some of the gory details. But basically I had an episode where I didn't know it at the time, but I had something that's called a, a gastrointestinal stromal tumor on my digestive system that burst. Yep. And that led to me losing a lot of blood and falling. And after that, it was like six months before they knew what it was. And Six months? Yeah, because they couldn't figure it out without surgery. Mm -hmm. And I knew, you know, my family history, my dad died of colon cancer. Mm -hmm. So I was super scared during that whole time. And they couldn't really give me that much information. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky because they removed it. And just tumors are, they are cancer, but it's a different kind of cancer. It's a sarcoma instead of a carcinoma. Right. So I didn't have to have chemo or radiation or any of that stuff. I just had surgery. Mm -hmm. And I take some drugs now to keep it from happening again. It's actually like a marvel of science. If this had happened to me 30 years ago, they would have just treated it as cancer and given right. me chemo. Oh but now God. we have, yeah, but now we have this drug that's like so not invasive for me personally. And mm-hmm. it hasn't been, you know, in retrospect that big a deal, but at the time it was a lot to take on at the same time as doing auditions. And <laughs> I didn't really feel comfortable telling my colleagues at New World what was going on with me because I hadn't processed. To what it was, and I didn't want anybody to think that I couldn't do my job. Right, so That's intense. I would just say that going through that experience has given me like so much appreciation for the necessity of healthcare for yes. everyone, and kind of like it makes my successes that I have had even more precious because I know that I got through that. You know. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I'm happy you're still here. Me too! (laughs) (laughs) So basically, as long as I had known Cindy, orchestra was sort of the path that you wanted to go, that that was the job that you wanted and that, that you would just be super duper happy. And as a bystander, it was sometimes really stressful to watch. You go through the series of auditions that just didn't make it this time, not this time, it's not this one. And that's, I think, something that the patience and perseverance of continuing to just keep going, chugging along, you're going to eventually get a job, that is unfortunately a side of the music world, especially if you're going into orchestra, that is pretty much unavoidable. There are those weird random people that win their first job, but that is not typically what happens.
1: One thing I've learned through taking so many auditions is that you can't rush experience. Mm. And sometimes it just takes time and you have to just do it over and over again. And also you can get the same information from your mentors like many, many times. And you just might not be in a place where you're ready to receive that information and engage with it in the way that would actually be helpful. Right. So I think we are in this narrative of I have to like work nonstop. And if I do the work, then I should see a certain result. Yeah. Cause and effect. Yeah. And that's true to a certain extent, but
0: it's there more are a lot common. of other, yeah, there's it's a, a lot web of common things common. that are happening around you that you're not even aware of sometimes,
1: yeah, so like some you know have some gentleness with yourself through that process of growing as a human can be really helpful with that feeling of intense impatience, yeah,
0: and then you finally did which I remember. And I was like, cause I knew it was going to happen one day. It was like, oh my God, it happened. It's the day. It Yay! Happened. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Now you're at Louisville. Yeah. Yes. Louisville, Louisville, Louisville.
1: Louisville. <laughs> this is a very hard word to say. <laughs> and I'm not from Louisville. So now I'm self-conscious saying it. Louisville, Louisville, louisville orchestra louisville orchestra i think that's how i say it okay <laughs> but <laughs> all of the people who are actually from louisville are gonna laugh at this really hard
0: <laughs> <laughs> how has it been pre-covid of course how did you enjoy your job
1: you know i was only there for three months before everything <laughs> got canceled which is so infuriating <laughs> i mean thankfully i've played a lot of orchestra at this point yeah so a lot of it was not new to me, except that it was wonderful because some of my closest friends are in that orchestra. And we had like a really strong second violin section pod going on that was really fun to play in. I really think that the orchestra is doing some awesome things. Like even just in the few months that I was there. I guess so our music director is Teddy Abrams. And one of the things that I really love that he does is as soon as he got the music directorship, from what I've been told, he started going out in to the city and just looking for all of the awesome musicians in Louisville. Mm-hmm. No matter what. What discipline you are a part of. And he's featured those people in our concert series ever since then. And it just, it feels like the orchestra is really valued by the community, which is amazing. And yeah. And you know, especially during this quarantine time and with everything that's been happening with social justice right now, I really, so two things, I've been reading a lot of Gloria Steinem stuff mm-hmm. and Uh, We both read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, and Mm -hmm. basically those are both really heavy on the ideas of telling your story is the first step in social movements because people get together and they tell their story and they discover that they've had similar experiences. Right, And if while we're having this moment of like upheaval and intense reflection, if orchestras could come out on the other side and think of themselves a little more as community organizers, Mm -hmm. I think that would be so amazing because especially these orchestras that are serving cities like Louisville, that's our job to reach everybody in the city. Right. And uh, it's I think for a lot of people in classical music, it's really frustrating to feel like there's this image that we're elite Mm -hmm. when the artists on stage sometimes wouldn't be able to afford a ticket to their own show. Right. And I know I personally really want anybody to be able to come and see us play. Yeah. So I I don't know what necessarily the steps are for that to actually happen, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Sometimes you feel superfluous as an artist because we don't give people food or shelter. Right. But I do know that it was transformative for me in being able to express myself and deal with my emotions and all sorts of good stuff you know all of the important people in my life maybe not all of them but 90% of the important people I've met in my life have met through music right which is pretty cool. It's hard to
0: quantify our value in society as artists, because our trade is in experience. It's not in tangible object consumption, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that that's where we also struggle. Because when I came back and visited the memorial of George Floyd, I thought about bringing my cello and just sitting there and starting to play. But I also thought, is that helpful? Is that something that people want? Or am I imposing on their voice or whatever? So it's just a yeah. It's this, we can spiral into a whole other can of
1: worms. Right. That's a a whole other podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, basically. So I'll tangent. So you're also in Rochester Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. How long have you been with them?
1: I started, I want to say it was in fall of 2018. It's a part-time tenure track position. So I still have that. And I, in the last year when I basically have done both Louisville and Rochester, and then also sub some other places.
0: Is it weird to be in two orchestras at once?
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like a little bit of a nomad sometimes, but super grateful for all of the opportunities I've had. Right. It's doubly challenging sometimes because my fiance's in Charlotte Symphony. Right. So uh, like the year after New World until now, I kind of feel like I live in three places yeah. equally. So it's a lot. <laughs> it's not something you want to do forever, but no. I do love like all of the people I've gotten to meet and play with in in all three of those places. Yeah.
0: Well, how are you feeling? You want to take a break now or?
1: Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Let's great. do it.
0: We'll, we'll be right back. Hey! I wanted to do a quick shout out to all the countries tuning in to Hide Behind the Music Stand. It's so exciting to see representation not just across the United States, but Germany, Canada, Ireland, the UK, Italy, Ecuador, and Lebanon. What? This is so awesome! It's so thrilling to watch where people are listening globally, and it's so exciting to feel the support. So thank you for checking out Hiding Behind the Music Stand, and tell a friend to tune in. Let's keep it going. And while you're at it, click to subscribe. Welcome back from the break. So before the break, I was cuddling sushi and showing sushi to Cindy. And... (laughs) (laughs) As long as I've known Cindy, she has been a yoga enthusiast. Is that such a thing to be an enthusiast in yoga? It seems like those are contradictory. Yes.
1: I think it's a thing. Okay.
0: (laughs) For sure. So tell me more. How... (laughs) Did you get into yoga and why did you get into yoga and why do you still keep doing
1: it well i started doing yoga it was really my mom that got me into it at the beginning it was i was probably an undergrad and she was going to yoga classes at the y and so i would start going with her when i was like home from school or whatever and i think I mean, my mom had been telling me that I should meditate for many years and I was just never in a place to really want to do it yet. But that's basically what yoga is. It's just, there's also a physical aspect to it Mm -hmm. that makes it kind of a lot easier to get into, I think. Okay. Because there's something to focus on. You're not just sitting there alone with your thoughts. If you're doing yoga and you're breathing, I'm going to start that over. I was like... (laughs) If you're breathing, you're doing yoga. <laughs> I was like,
0: would, would there be an example of yoga where you would just if stop If you're doing breathing? yoga and
1: you're not breathing, then you're a zombie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now that we totally derailed your thought process, yeah. your train of thought.
1: It's okay. It's okay. Ah, oh, where was I? <laughs>
0: Um, You're talking about how yoga is a different form of meditation and your mom was trying to get you into meditation and you're like, no, I'm going to do yoga. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it was that sassy, but. Yeah,
1: it it probably wasn't that sassy, but I started doing yoga, not really realizing that it was basically very similar to meditation, just with some added stuff Mm -hmm. to sort of help you along the way. I would say it's, it's equal parts mental and focusing on your breath and doing postures. So I sort of just did it off and on for like years. And then I would say that my yoga practice sort of ramped up when I was in San Francisco because I started going to Yoga to the People, yeah, which is an awesome organization. Obviously, it didn't have much money when I was there in school and... You could go to yoga to the people and it's all donation based and so sometimes i would go and i would just give a dollar because that's all i could do but i always felt welcome there and it really challenged me physically more than any other classes i had been to so i started feeling just more physically powerful yeah (laughs) um and that that's something that it's amazing to have something that you can always go to that helps you regulate your emotions and get out weird energy And also it's just super fun and you can go in with an attitude of I'm going to try some new things and if I fall, if I fail, it doesn't matter. I'm still... Successful at doing yoga mm-hmm. just because I'm there and I'm breathing and I'm trying something new. Right. So that was kind of a, a radical attitude for me because, especially if you're an artist or you're doing something where you, you've taken your hobby and you've turned it into your profession, all of a sudden, your thing that you did to make you feel good and to have fun with, you're now ascribing a lot of importance to the outcomes of how you details. do with it, the details, and you're taking on a whole lot of criticism. Yes. So either from t-
0: external or internal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I thought also it's kind of inter- interesting that you refer to yoga as a practice and you also practice your instrument. Mm-hmm. And so there's like a gazillion parallels there. I uh, how if you many? think <laughs> If you think about when you're performing, your physical body performing, and then there's also your mental chatter going on. And sometimes there's not much mental chatter, and sometimes there's a lot, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's random, and sometimes it's really negative. And so you can be existing physically and mentally at the same time in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it was just uh, really amazing for me to find something else where I could sort of explore that duality, but not have anything attached to the outcome.
0: Right. That became your safe space.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how often did you go to Yoga to the People? Because I just remember you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to do some yoga and I'm going to come back to the conservatory and I'm going to practice and then I'll go home and we'll make dinner together, blah, 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 something like that. Mm -hmm. I lost track.
1: I don't think it would have been more than once a week probably Okay. during grad school. I've I've never really been a, a daily yoga person, although that would be a great thing to do, I think. But when I was so busy in school and at New World, it was maybe twice a week, definitely once a week. If I didn't go at least once a week, I would start to notice that I was getting really stressed out and cranky. So, so like,
0: it's like getting hangry, except you got, yeah, is there yeah. A to create yoga.
1: I don't know. It's, there's just like, uh, cranky, uh, and uh, I don't know.
0: I don't know either.
1: Okay. I tried, but you know, even after I was freelancing, I would start going a little more maybe, mm-hmm. but at that point I was still using public transportation and I would take the bus 45 minutes to go to yoga to the people.
0: Oh, I suppose. Cause it's in the mission, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's not easy. Oh my god that also yeah. I'm sorry that reminded me of inside joke about how North Shore is just so far North Beach North you Beach can,
1: you can get there but you can't get back
0: right <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so the mission kind of feels that way sometimes. We From living in the inner sunset, the mission is just a little bit too awkward to get to. So yeah, 45 minutes on a muni, that's like you definitely need to have your hour.
1: Yeah, if it had been easier to get to, maybe it would have gone more. But that was what I could do at that time. And it was super helpful. And then the other place where my practice really progressed a lot was in Miami with Elgar Richards, who's a wonderful human and amazing yoga teacher. And I just... Learned so much from him, and so his class became like my sanctuary while I was at New World.
0: That was something I wanted to ask. What makes a good yoga instructor?
1: Yeah, I've never done yoga teacher training. It's something that's like kind of on my bucket list. Not necessarily because I would want to be a yoga teacher, but just because like I want to learn more. But I guess I'm kind of picky about my yoga classes at this point. And that's one of the other like great things is that there's so many different styles out there that whatever you're looking for, like you can find a class like that. Yeah. But what I usually like is a yoga teacher who can guide you through the practice and the pace, Makes it a big difference. Like some people like to really flow through the poses really quickly and like build up a lot of intensity. Mm-hmm. And like Elgar's class that I used to go to was called mindful vinyasa and, and vinyasa means flowing through poses. Mm-hmm. But the mindfulness element is kind of, I interpret it that more as from like classical yoga. And in that tradition, you do more like five breaths per pose instead of one per pose. So you're spending a lot more time in each posture. Got it. And building strength and through the the slow movement from from one one. pose to another. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the style that I like. Definitely challenging, but not challenging because it's fast.
0: Right. Do you have any favorite poses that just make you feel really
1: good? Different poses can give you different feelings. Explain. Pigeon pose, there's like, apparently there's something about pigeon pose where you're like opening up the deep tissues in your hips that Mm -hmm. like causes some people to have to release emotions Mm -hmm. or maybe no reason. So people like cry in pigeon pose a lot. I mean, a lot. It happens. Yeah. (laughs) So that one, that one is a really interesting one. And then, you know, there are others like backbends. That's supposed to be kind of a vulnerable shape because you're exposing your your belly and your neck. All Uh of that vital stuff sort of unprotected. And then forward folds are more about surrendering everything that you're striving for. So there's tons of great things to think about when you're in these poses and also finding a balance between ease, and effort. And I've just found like, the more I do it, the more I can apply all of those things to how I practice and perform. And also to just not freaking out over things in my daily life. <laughs> <laughs> I still Stress! Think out
0: <laughs> As Cindy knows, I was pretty anti-yoga for a very long time. And I remember there was one time that, I don't know, We, I think you guys just convinced me in the apartment to just do a yoga. I think it, we did it for 45 minutes or something. Uh-huh. And I just was like, I don't get this. I just, okay, I'm stretching. <laughs> I'm just going to go on a run. And so then I went on a run after that around Golden Gate Park. And that was maybe one of the best runs I've ever been on. Oh, really? Yeah, because I had fully stretched my body and extended everything. So everything was just way more fluid and motions were so much easier. And and I maybe engaged my core before I went or something. And
1: well, I mean, I think one of the cool things for me is that as a kid, I was like a huge nerd and not athletic at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so for me, the idea of just going on a run was like torture. Right.
0: I mean, this is where we were opposites in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, totally. And then, After I had done yoga for a while, it was like I had figured out a way to connect with my body enough and to learn how to build strength and all those things so that after I had done yoga for a while, I felt like I could go on a run. And now I'm a runner too. So it's like, it was a gateway to so many things, you know?
0: And you know, now that COVID hit, I like started doing some yoga stuff.
1: I think sometimes people who are like not yoga people, they go to one class and it isn't the kind of yoga that they need or want and so then they think that that represents every kind of yoga that's out there yeah and then they never go again and if you really want to try it you have to just go to a bunch of different studios and and see what you like yeah because there's truly i mean there's like goat yoga you can go to a class and they have baby goats walking around what where like i don't know there's just like there's everything under the sun (laughs) is out there (laughs)
0: I mean, that's where I'm kind of, maybe that's where I just end up saying, "Ah, I'm just going to go on a run because I think I get overwhelmed with the possibilities and choices that are out there for yoga. And I don't know which one I'm going to like. And I don't know which one is worth my time or whatever you want
1: to. Yeah. And it can be expensive sometimes, depending on where you're going to go. I mean, you find like an intro deal. Yeah. So that's a good way. And then like right now, since we're all at home doing stuff online, there Mm -hmm. are lots of online resources too. And what I've been doing, there's a studio called. Nota Yoga uh, here in Charlotte and they've made all of their classes virtual. Mm-hmm. So you do it through Zoom mm-hmm. and it's like live with a teacher and they're all pay what you can. So I've been doing a lot of their classes and there's an actual person.
0: Is it weird to do yoga through Zoom?
1: A little bit. I mean, sometimes it's nice to be in a room with a bunch of other people. And you know, I, I read somewhere that it's like really beneficial for humans to like do motions synchronously, is that a word? In
0: Synchronized?
1: <laughs> yeah, synchronized with others. Uh-huh. So like dancing or like yoga or even like orchestra. It does like happy things to your brain when you're like moving in sync with other people. Mm -hmm. So that like adds to the experience for sure. And then, you know, the ritual of like going to a different place. This is going to be like your time that you've set aside for yourself and you're going to go to this other place that's away Mm -hmm. from your home to do that. Mm -hmm. That can be helpful. And I miss like assists hands-on assists are really helpful. So why do you think that this is something that you will
0: sustain for the rest of your life?
1: I think it's just become part of my routine of like being okay. I see. You know, it brings you back to equilibrium. And even I think back to my health crisis and yoga was the thing that I could start doing again. Even when I had like scars and I couldn't like bend my knee anymore. I mean, there was major things that were like keeping me from having 100% mobility, but I was able to still go to Elgar's class and say, hey, I just had this kind of major thing happen. I'm going to just do what I can do. Mm -hmm. And it's probably only going to be 20% of what you say. Right. But what was his response? I mean, he just supported me. Yeah. Okay. And you know, anytime that he would see that I was not able to do something, maybe he would come over and help me Mm -hmm. and figure out an alternative. Or, you know, I was just like comfortable enough in that class where I didn't feel self-conscious if I had to just lay on the ground for a while (laughs) right you know (laughs) child's pose it yeah I mean I couldn't even do child's pose right knee thing right yeah I couldn't bend my knee after surgery I had basically a c-section scar yeah so what I was doing was very minimal yeah but it's kind of amazing like you start going and in some ways it's like the improvement you see in your body from doing those things it's like so much easier than music you think so? Like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like you notice a difference just if you go to class like five or six times. It makes you feel like so good to to do something and like the improvement. It just seems so much less of a struggle, you yeah. know? All of a sudden you go to class and, hey, I never did that before.
0: For me, it'd be like, oh, I can finally touch my toes or something.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. That would be huge. Yeah. You yeah. know? And to get there and not feel like you struggled to get there, really. It just kind of happened one day. I think that's the cool thing about yoga. It's like... Like you learn things and you can do new things without having to feel so goal oriented all the time. Mm -hmm. And like you're on somebody else's timeline. You're just there. And then all of a sudden, one day, you're like, oh, I look at that. That's pretty sweet.
0: As you're saying, it's more about the ritual. It's more about just the consistency of going, being proactive in that way, and not having this expectation that you're going to accomplish something within that, other than just being in the present there at that moment, going through the motions.
1: And it wasn't that hard. Right. I didn't stress out about it. Right. It just happened one day. And it's like, I've never really been able to approach my career in that way. I've always been just like a crazy hard worker. So Cindy...
0: After all the impact that COVID has done to classical music, what do you think is something positive that will come out of this and carry on in our profession?
1: Well, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit with the community organizing. It's interesting because we're in kind of like a paradox where we can't play in the way that we're used to, but people are like starved for entertainment and for connection with other people right and i know yeah. that like i have been feeling very kind of like out to sea without my orchestra you know mm-hmm. because like how can i play the only way i can play is basically by myself and i mean i'm lucky because my partner's here with me so we can play stuff together but that's no substitute for like having the whole orchestra together right so i don't know i think we're having to like rethink things along those lines. I, I just hope like, kind of like I said before, that since we're all being sort of forced to stop and reflect about why we're doing what we're doing, that we can just extend the music that we play to more people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's a lot to, to take on COVID and equality all at once, but it's kind of an opportunity too. Right. Because when else would we be able to make time-structural changes? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. The
0: classical music world has been so established, and it's just kind of there was just a system that was, it just worked. We followed instructions to achieve what we wanted, and we did reach a, quite a big audience and supporters. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of like it's a good time to take stock again and reassess what do we really do in music? What is our purpose? And as you're saying, I do hope that we will be able to reach our community in a much more personal way than we had tried to do before, but didn't maybe have time to do or
1: Yeah. I, I think it's say just that, about but- like including more people. Right. That's probably to say I mean like the 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 easiest way is just like to program more diverse composers, hire more diverse people, you know, that's like step one. Right. And then a lot of beautiful things will hopefully come out of all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to requote the MTT quote, there are a lot of people that are struggling with these endangered emotions right now. So I suppose our hope is that classical music, our job is to help heal those wounds and hurt and pain.
1: Yeah. And you know, there's also something I've been thinking a lot about this like Gloria Steinem quote recently. That's kind of like two combined. It's like, one is that society should be a circle, not a pyramid. Mm -hmm. And the other is that there's like something really magical that happens when people get together in person. Mm -hmm. And it really sucks because we can't really do that right now. Right. But... That is something, live music is something that's really worth fighting to keep around Mm -hmm. after all of this is gone, because it is not the same as just watching a video or listening to a recording. Like, Mm -hmm. getting us all in a room together is kind of like where the magic happens.
0: And, like, feeling the force of the teamwork on stage and either being a part of that or witnessing it is, yeah, that's something that is disconnected, even though... We're connected online together, but
1: yeah, it's something right. That- it's it's something totally different. It's not the same. And even you know, orchestras I think are a particularly good symbol for that because there are so many people on stage. And if we're all like in the best case scenario where we're all like working together and really listening to one another, it the result is like the sum is so much greater than the parts. And that's part of the reason that I really gravitated towards orchestra when I did is because like when you're on stage and you're surrounded by that sound and like all of your colleagues, mm-hmm. you just feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself and that everybody's lifting each other up. Right. Like I, right. I don't feel as powerful playing alone as I do like with my whole yeah. orchestra. Right. right. And that's, a, that's something amazing. And I don't know, it's, it's easy to hear that and just lean too much on that like platitude and say like music heals the world, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it only does if we really like bring everybody into that idea. Yeah. But it it is powerful. So I don't know. I hope that, you know, when I think about like, if I couldn't be a musician anymore in the past, I probably would have thought like I wanted to be an architect or an engineer or something. But like now I think about if I couldn't do music anymore, I would probably want to do something in community organizing or like, activism yeah maybe but Mm -hmm. apparently i don't i don't know how people get into that Well yeah exactly and i don't you know my tool is playing the violin and i don't really want to change careers but we're all thinking about those things oh my god yeah and uh i just think it would be great if orchestras could do a little more of that yeah yeah i don't know i feel like i'm on a soapbox
0: no i I put you there i put you on the soapbox (laughs) I asked the question, so
1: yeah, it's all good. I mean, even even outside of the context of social justice, wouldn't it be great if we just like played not the same stuff over and over again, but just things that have been in the canon for a long time, but don't get played that much. Yeah. You know, so many things could change after all this. Yeah. And we'll see what happens
0: in the future. The future is unknown, is what they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So did you want to tell people where to find you? Not in real life, but (laughs) (laughs) do you you
1: want to... Type in this address.
0: Is there anything that you wanted to plug, projects that are upcoming for you?
1: I would say just check out the Louisville Orchestra. We have a website, an Instagram. There's an Instagram specifically for the musicians of the Louisville Orchestra that we're posting stuff to all the time. In addition to that, check out Charlotte Symphony and Rochester Philharmonic. You're
0: done! Is that good? I don't know.
1: And if you would like to support this podcast, please share it with
0: your friends and family for free. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash You can access more content and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all at Hayden Music Stand. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts, preferably positive, and give feedback at haydenmusicstand at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Cindy, for spending time again it's so good to see you and yay thanks
1: for having me it was the best i would never like feel comfortable doing something like this except if it was you so yay
0: (laughs) sushi say bye
1: oh my god I don't know if you heard that. There was I did. just a, a bump outside. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Thankfully, Thankfully, the podcast world can't smell us. That's <laughs> true. <laughs>